Just before going to preach at eight o'clock, I was sitting in the back of the, of the student room and there was a book laying there that was, someone was using for a Sunday school curriculum about grace. Now, I read on the back of it these words, by the end of this book, you will see grace in a new light. You will see your loving God in a new light. Read it and be encouraged. It is my prayer by the end of this sermon, you will see grace in a new light. Goes on to say that no sin is so great, <clears throat> no bitterness so deep, that God's grace cannot transform the heart and rewrite the story. Even when it doesn't make sense, even if it's not fair, it can cover the grace of God, whatever you've done. Now, Father God, may your grace be evident here today in our hearts and our lives. And for those who feel your grace is not fair, that your grace doesn't make sense, that your grace cannot cover their mistakes, I pray that by the end of this sermon, they will have experienced your amazing grace. In Jesus' name I ask this, amen and amen. Now, Bernie Madoff was a crook who defrauded thousands of investors of billions of dollars. His greed for money and power destroyed the hard work, the hopes and dreams of friends, associates, and investors. His conviction brought embarrassment, shame, and humiliation to his family. He is hated and despised by many. And he sounds a little bit like the wee little man that Jesus encounters on his way to Jerusalem. And throughout this sermon series, we're looking at the encounters that Jesus had on his way to the cross. All along the way, Jesus proclaimed the good news of the gospel, that God's grace and salvation was available to everyone. Everyone and anyone who would believe that he was the son of God. What is God's grace? It is God's mercy. It is God's goodness toward us. It's undeserved favor. The problem in Jesus' time, the religious people believed they deserved grace. They had earned grace. But the grace of God that Jesus brings is undeserved. All of us here today are sinners. Last week, Dr. Balt and I preached a great word about Jesus' encounter with a rich young ruler a young man lost in wealth and affluence. Jesus offered him grace, offered him a new direction, but he refused. He loved his money more than he loved God. And he returned to his castle to count his coins, blind to his need of a savior, blind to his need of grace. In that same chapter, chapter 18 of Luke, Shortly after that, Jesus encountered a beggar, a beggar who was lost in blindness, lost in poverty. But unlike the young man, he cries out to Jesus for mercy. And this blind beggar received the grace of God, recovered his eyesight and spiritual riches untold. And here today, we find ourselves looking at another wealthy man a man lost in corruption, a man lost in greed who was almost hated and despised as much as Bernie Madoff.
we find ourselves in the town of Jericho. Now, Jewish historians describe Jericho as the most fruitful, affluent city in Judea. It was a warm climate. It was a great getaway for the rich, for the royals, who built enormous palaces and complete with swimming pools and gardens. The city was a great commercial hub for goods that flowed from northern Israel to southern Egypt. It was like the I-85 quarter with Hilton Head sitting right in the middle of it. And Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector in Jericho. He's a powerful man that collects higher taxes than are owed. He is a corrupt IRS person. And because he's a chief tax collector, he gets a cut from all the other tax collectors, which means he's immensely wealthy, wealthy guy. But he's despised. He's hated for defrauding, cheating his own people, for collaborating with the oppressors, the Roman government. In their eyes, he's the worst sinner in town. He's a notorious sinner. He's number one when it comes to being the worst of the worst. Now, it's interesting going back to Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler and his rejection of grace, his rejection of faith. Jesus says these words, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? Now that's a, an in-your-face verse for the people that live in Lexington, South Carolina. It's an in-your-face verse for anyone that lives in America because compared to the world, we're rich. Every one of us here has, has more than we ever dreamed possible compared to the world. But Jesus replied, what is impossible for people is possible for God. Say that with me. What is impossible for people is possible with God. Now, poor Zacchaeus, <laughs> he, he's in jeopardy here. He may not stand a chance. He's not only rich, but he's a crook. But Jesus this morning is about to show us how God can do the impossible. God's grace is available to everyone. Paul said it this way in Romans 4, 16. The promise is not only for the people that live under the law of Moses. It is for anyone who lives with faith like Abraham. See, the promise of grace was no longer just for the Jews or those who lived under the law of Moses. It's available to anyone here today who lives with faith in God, who trusts in God for salvation. That means short people, tall people, rich people, poor people, bad people, good people. No matter your race, no matter your nationality, grace is available today. Amen? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God's grace is available to you no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, because grace meets us where we are, where we are. 
Now a large crowd has gathered to see Jesus in Jericho. Evidently the whole town showed up and Zacchaeus is there. He's heard about Jesus being this great teacher, this great healer, this miracle worker, this man who proclaims to be the son of God. Now Zacchaeus doesn't approach Jesus as a wealthy dignitary. He doesn't make an appointment. He doesn't have an entourage. Instead, he runs ahead of the crowd and climbs up a sycamore tree. Now, the, the word says he was short, so perhaps he was trying to get a better advantage to see Jesus, but maybe he was trying to keep someone from sticking a knife in his ribs because I'm sure he avoided crowds that hated him, that despised him. Now, during the spring of the year, the sycamore tree was full of leaves, providing plenty of cover for Zacchaeus because I think this, Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, but doesn't want Jesus to see him. Maybe you're here today checking out Jesus. You want to see him, you want to hear about him, but you're not sure he want, you want him to see you. You know, week in and week out, we have close to 400 people that sign in as visitors in this church. Not all of them first-time visitors, but repeat visitors. Checking out what Jesus is doing at a place called Mount Horeb. Checking out children's ministry, checking out student ministry, checking out contemporary worship, checking out traditional worship. Checking out Jesus. You know, there are people that visit our church. It's, it's interesting. They visit four or five, six times before they ever sign in a few bad. Just kind of checking things out. Not sure I'm ready to go all the way in this thing, but I'm checking it out. Nicodemus is up a sycamore tree checking Jesus out. Now, Zacchaeus took the initiative to see Jesus, but it was Jesus who initiates the conversation because Jesus knew Zacchaeus long before Zacchaeus knew Jesus. Today, if you're here checking out Jesus, know this. He knows everything about you. You can't hide. You can't pretend. He knows you. And guess what? He loves you. He loves you and wants to have a conversation with you. I believe one of John Wesley's most important contributions to our Wesleyan theology is something we call prevenient grace. You can't check that in spell check because it's not in there. Prevenient grace. It's an unusual word. It means grace that goes before. See, John Wesley believed that God's grace precedes our action. It's the grace of God that draws us toward God's love. It was the grace of God that drew Nicodemus to that sycamore tree. It was the grace of God that drew you to that pew today. Maybe not that exact pew, you chose that. But you wandered into the presence of God because God's grace was prompting you. Now what you do and what Zacchaeus does with the grace of God is up to Zacchaeus and it's up to you. You get to decide what you do with the grace of God. Titus 2 says it this way, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. All people. You're here today. May you receive the grace of God. I want you to know today that no matter where you are, Jesus will meet you there. No matter where you are, 
If you're up a tree or in a ditch, sitting in a church or sitting in a prison cell, God's grace will meet you there. You know, throughout the book of Luke, throughout the Gospels, we, we hear that Jesus is there for the oppressed, for the poor. But I also want you to know that Jesus is there for the oppressor, and he is there for the rich. He is available to all people. He'll meet you where you are. And regardless of, other, of who others say you are, Jesus knows your name. No matter what people say about you, no matter the scuttlebutt on the street, no matter the rumors that people tell about you, Jesus knows your name. Everybody in Jericho had labeled Zacchaeus as a scoundrel, a sinner, the worst of the worst. But Jesus looks up into that sycamore tree and calls him by name, Zacchaeus. I'm sure Zacchaeus was shocked that Jesus knew his name. Maybe you're shocked today to know that Jesus knows your name. You know what Zacchaeus means? It means innocent. <laughs> you talk about irony, right? His name means innocent. I believe that Jesus saw Zacchaeus' potential to be innocent long before Zacchaeus saw it. He saw Zacchaeus' potential certainly before the crowd, the people, the citizens of Jericho. And no matter what you've done, God sees in you potential. He sees in you an opportunity for a person to change the world through the grace of God. It's been 20 years ago that a notorious sinner here in Lexington, quite and well known for being a party person, an addicted person, showed up in my office and together he knelt, we knelt together and he accepted Jesus into his life. He became a believer. He accepted the grace of God. Later that week, I was having lunch with this former notorious sinner at Lexington Country Club, having lunch together. Later on that evening, it was a Friday, I went to a football game down in Aiken. And one of the more notorious sinners in, Aiken, in Lexington rode with us to the football game, not the one who had found Jesus, the one who was still searching. And he said these words to me, I, didn't I see you having lunch today with the most notorious sinner in Lexington? I said, well, it used to be. Now he's met Jesus. What about you? As far as I know, he's still searching. But I will tell you this, that man who gave his heart to Jesus 20 years ago is still following Jesus. And Jesus knew his name. Throughout the Bible, God calls people by name. After Adam had sinned in the garden, God came walking in the garden and said, Adam, where are you? He knew the name of Abraham when he called him to become the father of a nation. He knew the name of Moses. He said, Moses, where are you? And Moses, will you lead my people out of bondage and captivity? This is after Mo Moses had murdered someone. 40 years in exile, God still knew his name. God knew the name of Joshua and called him to lead his people out of bondage, I mean, into the promised land. He knew the name of David to go and slay Goliath. Jesus called his disciples by name. Peter, Andrew, leave your fishing nets and come follow me. He knew the name of Matthew, a tax collector. 
Matthew, will you come follow me? Today, make no doubt about it, Jesus knows your name. He's calling your name today through the power of the Holy Spirit. I was 14 years old whenever Jesus called my name. I didn't hear him say Jeff, but I knew he was calling. He was knocking on the door of my heart. He was asking me to receive grace and to follow him as my Savior. And then I want you to know this, that despite what you've done, Jesus won't leave you there. Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree right now. Don't wait. Make haste. Today, if you hear the voice of Jesus calling you to come down out of your tree, to get up out of your ditch, don't wait. Don't delay. The reality is that none of us are guaranteed the next hour. Before this sermon is over, 911 could be called, EMS could be out there at the front door. It's happened before. It can happen today. None of us are guaranteed. Make haste. Don't wait. Come down. Get up right now. Despite what you've done, Jesus won't leave you there. Good behavior is not a requirement for friendship with Jesus. Did you hear that? Good behavior is not a requirement for friendship with Jesus. He loves and receives people despite their past and where they are. Why? Because he's committed to changing us more than he is condemning us. I came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Now, he won't leave you there, but he'll come to you. He'll come to you. You know, someone told me after a time, a season where something had happened in the church and there was a need for forgiveness, that if this church did not believe in forgiveness, it would have gone out of business a long time ago. Isn't that right? If we did not believe in forgiveness, we would have been out of business a long time ago. Jesus meets us where we are, thank goodness. Now he says, Jesus, I want you to come down. I'm coming to your house today, right now. Now how would you feel about that if this morning Jesus said to you, whispered in your ear, I'm coming to your house for lunch. Would your first thought be, I need to straighten up a little bit. I, I got a mess at the house, and I wish I would have known. But there are people here today, throughout this weekend, that believe they've got to clean their mess up in their life before Jesus can come home with them. Friends, Jesus wants to come into your mess and help you clean the mess up. I know some of you are like me, and my dentist is over in the auditorium, so he won't hear me say this, except on live stream. I floss a lot before I go to the dentist. <laughs> Boy, that week before, I'm flossing like crazy, because I know I'm going to go see the dentist. And they're going to ask me that question. You've been flossing? Oh, yeah, I've been flossing. <laughs> Man, your teeth are, your gums are a little tender. I say, well, you know, I've been flossing a lot. Some of you are even guilty of Straighten up the house before the maid shows up. I got to get it straightened up. The maid's coming. Folks, I'm here to tell you that Jesus meets you where you are because grace wants to take us home. Grace wants to come home with us. The crowd's stunned, the crowd's shocked that Jesus is going home with a notorious sinner named Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus is not saved, he's not converted, he's still a notorious sinner. But Jesus is coming home with Zacchaeus. Now, religious people tend to get upset when that happens. Whenever we reach out and touch someone who is notorious, 
we start rolling our eyes and going, good, did you see who the pastor was hanging out with? A notorious sinner, the biggest sinner in Lexington. You know, the church is much more, the religious folks, let me say the religious folks, I won't say the church, the religious folks are much more concerned about fairness than faith. It's not fair. He gets to hang out with him. Why are you hanging out with me? I'm there every week. Where's he been? Why didn't he call me? Religious folks are more concerned about fairness than faith, not Jesus. Nowhere does he say that God's going to be fair, <laughs> but God's going to be faithful. I'll take faithfulness over fairness every day of the week, won't you? Sometimes we're more concerned about our religion than a relationship and someone coming to know Jesus. And they surely didn't understand that Jesus has the power to change lives. This notorious sinner, this thief, this corrupt individual, that Jesus has the power to change his life. They should be thankful <laughs> because guess what? When Jesus changes his life, <laughs> they're going to get a windfall. They're going to get a surprise because Jesus has changed this person's life. Now, as was Palestinian custom, Jesus and his disciples went to Zacchaeus' house for a meal. They probably spent the night. And after a lot of discussion, we can only imagine, a lot of prayer, Zacchaeus stood up and made this statement. Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. That's an amazing declaration. But it's not just a declaration. It's a clear demonstration that God has changed Zacchaeus' heart. Again, there are times that we make a lot of declarations about what we're going to do for God. Almost every one of you here that is a member of this church made a declaration that you're going to follow God. You're going to attend, you're going to pray, you're going to serve, you're going to give, you're going to witness. All of you raised your hand and said, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm declaring that I'm going to do that. But how is your demonstration doing? Are you demonstrating that day in and day out and week in and week out? Zacchaeus demonstrated what he was going to do. He demonstrated true repentance. What is repentance? Repentance doesn't mean to say, God, I'm sorry. Repentance means I'm going to live a different life. Greed is transformed into generosity. Now, that's a miracle right there. When greed is transformed into generosity, it's a great miracle. You see, my friends, repentance leads to restoration. That leads to restitution. That leads to rejoicing. Rejoicing. Restoration. See, Jesus declares that salvation has come to this house. I love what he said in uh, verse nine. Jesus responded after this declaration, this demonstration, salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. You see, repentance leads to restoration that Zacchaeus, who had not been living at all like a son of Abraham, who had betrayed the children of Abraham, was a collaborator with the Roman government, was now again restored as a son of Abraham. And friends, Zacchaeus proved that camels can indeed pass through an eye of a needle and live to talk about it. The things that are impossible with people are possible with God. 
Don't you think the people in Jericho were shocked that this scoundrel, this sinner, is now a son of Abraham? No way. With God, that's possible. The reality is that you and I were made to be children of God. We are made in the image of God, but all of us here are sinners. Some more notorious than others, but all of us are sinners. But when we repent and believe and receive, then we're restored into a right relationship with God. We're restored as children of God. John 1, 12 said this way, yet all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, say it with me, he gave the right to become children of God. That's amazing that you and I who repent can be restored. And Zacchaeus did what the rich young ruler refused to do. He repented and he received restoration. And like the blind beggar who received the grace of Jesus, Zacchaeus now sees what's really important. He began to see all the people that he had wronged as God's children. And let me just say this, repentance leads to restoration and restoration leads to restitution. Zacchaeus is rejoicing in his, his restoration and he's about to make a lot of people happy. See, Jewish law required when you've wronged someone, when you cheated someone, that you pay them back the full amount plus 20%. 20% on top of what you owed them. Not Zacchaeus. His heart's full of grace. His heart's full of joy. He pays back 50%. And then he goes on to say, if I've cheated anybody in their taxes, I'll pay them back four times. Now, what does that feel like if you're a citizen of Jericho who's been cheated and robbed? Well, maybe it feels like you've got a Toyota Corolla in your driveway. That's your wheels. That's how you get to work. That's how you get to see your family. That's how you get to church. And you go out one morning and somebody has stole your Toyota Corolla. It's gone. You're devastated. It's your only wheels you got. For weeks and for months, you have to bum rides to get to work and to get to church because somebody stole your Toyota Corolla. But one day, one day you walk outside and in your driveway, it's sitting a brand new Lexus. A brand new Lexus with a note on it that said, four months ago, I stole your Toyota Corolla. But I met this man named Jesus. He's changed my life. And I want to pay back four times what I stole from you. Enjoy your brand new Lexus. It was a day of excitement in Jericho as this new believer in Jesus began to make restitution. Let me be clear that Jesus didn't command Zacchaeus to make restitution. Restitution and generosity is not the means to redemption, but it is the evidence of redemption. Did you hear me? Generosity and restitution is the evidence of redemption. Zacchaeus may have been a little man, but Jesus gave him a big heart. I love what Billy Graham says. He says, there's nothing wrong with men or women possessing riches. The wrongs come when riches possess a man or a woman. You see, the rich young ruler went away sad because he was possessed by his riches Zacchaeus is rejoicing because he is no longer possessed by his riches. He is a changed person. You know, Zacchaeus had one of those therefore moments. 
Because Jesus has changed my life, therefore, this is what I got to do. Did you know there are 1,200 therefore moments in Scripture? 1,200 times people had their life changed. They heard a word from God and they said, therefore. Have you had your therefore moment where your life has been changed and therefore you got to go and do something different? You got to go and make things right because God has made you right. You know, once we are restored as children of God, we begin to see people as God sees people. We begin to see them as God's children. They're created in the image of God. And like Zacchaeus, when we've been restored, we no longer use people. We love people. We no longer use people. We serve people. We will make a move to make things right. We'll be moved to generosity. Lynn and I in our small group are studying a book by Mark Batterson, and I love his definition of obligation for the Christian. The definition of obligation is, I don't have to, I get to. I don't have to, I get to. I said earlier, whenever we pass the offering plate, if you feel like you have to give something this morning, it's not doing you any good. But if your heart's been changed, then you get to be a part of what God is doing to change the world. Now, whenever it comes time to sign up for vacation Bible school, Janice, forgive me for saying this. If you feel like you have to, it's not going to do you any good. But if you believe you get to and you want to, it's going to change your life and change the life of children. Don't do it because you have to. Do it because you get to. Do it because you want to. Because God has blessed you and you want to be a part of what God is doing. Now, with that said, we need over a thousand volunteers to sign up for Bible school. So all of you in this room get to do that, right? You get to do that to change the world. Today, whether you're a rich ruler full of emptiness or a blind beggar sitting by the road or somebody that has messed up every single time and everything in your life, Jesus is saying, get up, come down. I want to be a guest in your home. As you prepare to close this morning, I got one major thing I want to say to you. That when you experience the grace of God, it compels you to go. You don't stay at home, you go. Grace compels us to go public. Zacchaeus publicly confessed his sin. I was wrong. Caesar was my Lord, but now Jesus, you're my Lord. Too often times, folks, we repent. We turn away from our bad living and we don't tell anybody. You've said it. I've heard you say it. Well, that's between me and God. You know what happens when you keep it between you and God? It slips back up on you. It comes back on you because you have no accountability. There are things we need to go public with, folks. That when God has changed your life, tell somebody about it. When God is moving in you, tell somebody about it. Go public. Jesus said, let your light shine. Who would light a candle and keep it hid under a basket? Be accountable to somebody. When somebody that I pray with receives Jesus into their heart for the first time, the first thing I tell them to do is go tell somebody. Go tell somebody. Go public what Jesus has done in your life. Now, I believe when, you've, when you're a scoundrel and you become a, a believer, you can't help but tell somebody. Go public. Secondly, grace compels us to go in a new direction. Go make right what needs to be made right. Go make restitution. Go make an apology. Not because you have to, 
but because you get to and because you want to. And then grace compels us to go to others. Go to others. See, Jesus' friendship changed Zacchaeus' heart. Through fellowship, food, friendship, and faith sharing, Zacchaeus was changed. And those are the tools that God wants you to use to change the world. All of us have a Zacchaeus in our life. You know, someone said we should preach the gospel all the time and use words when necessary. Who is the Zacchaeus that God is calling you to reach? Church, we will never change the world unless we go to the world, not to judge the world, not to condemn the world, but with God's grace, change the world. Who do you know that's in a ditch? Who do you know that's up a tree? Who's that person you've written off as hopeless? Who's that person that has defrauded you or cheated you? Who is the lost person in your, in your neighborhood, the most lost person in your neighborhood? Who's the scoundrel that lives there at work, in school, in your family? Are you hoping for their condemnation or are you praying for Jesus to change them? God may want you to use fellowship. God may want you to use food. Invite them for dinner, meet them at a restaurant for lunch and share your faith and make a friend for God. Jesus reminds us what his mission is all about. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. That's the mission of this church. And that should be every, the mission of every follower of Jesus in this room. Friends, this morning, God's grace operates on a different set of rules in the world. Everybody had given up on Zacchaeus. He was a lost cause. And maybe you're here today and you feel like a lost cause. I want you to know that Jesus hasn't given up on you. No matter what you've done, no matter if you're up a tree or in a ditch, Jesus is calling your name. If you're watching on live stream this morning and your life is a mess, you're in despair, know that Jesus has not given up on you. And there's three things you need to do. You need to repent. With God's help, turn from your sins. You need to receive by faith Jesus into your life. Receive him into your home. Receive him at your table. And thirdly, you need to resolve to follow him by staying in his word, by getting involved in prayer, join a small group, join a Sunday school class, and then resolve to share Jesus with someone else. Go public with what he's done in your life for his glory, his purpose. Father God, we thank you for amazing grace. Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. Amazing grace that saved a wretch like Zacchaeus. Amazing grace that saved people in this room that were notorious as sinners. Thank you, God, for your amazing grace. And Father God, as we sing this song, may those who feel far from you hear you calling their name. Bill, Dave, Nancy, Janet, Jeff, calling their name that you want to be a part of their lives. Father God, we thank you that your word tells us if we, if we confess our sins to you, that you are faithful and just to forgive us. If we receive you, 
You will come into our lives and you will make us your children, the children of God. Thank you, Father God, for doing that work this morning in people's lives that are in a ditch, that are up a tree. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.